Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. I'm going to challenge you to open it up uh, to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to look a little bit this morning at perhaps my, my favorite passage, I guess. Especially concerning the early church or describing what the early church was like. We all have a vision of that early church, I think. To me, this is one of my favorite passages I go to that really describes what she was like at her essence and what she was like at her core. Today, in way of a, of a vision for us and our church, and, and in this moment in time, I want to give you two thoughts, if I can. I want to give you, first of all, a challenge. And secondly, I want to propose a change to you. Maybe talk about the changes that are required to meet that challenge. And church, I want to tell you I love you. And by church, I don't mean the buildings and the, and the property and the place. I mean you. I love you with all my heart. The church is the people. That's what it is. It's a local body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you how much I love you and how, what a joy it is to, to pastor right here and to pastor you. I, I see your passion for the Lord, and, and I love that in you. I see your passion for, for one another, how you care about each other. And, and man, I love that about pastoring here. I, I see your love for all. There's no one who comes by here. And, and I wish all of you were uh, maybe privy to the circumstances sometimes that I am when folks from a lost and dying world make their way by with some dire needs. And I can't tell you that when I reach out and when we ask that folks are ready from this body to meet those needs on every hand's turn. And I love that about your spirit. I love your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be in a place that believes the word of God's true, real, right, and relevant and believes that's the hope we have for a lost and a dying world. I put it this way, you're real. You're the real thing and I'm proud. I, I love you. Proud and happy. It's a joy to pastor right here. Now, are you perfect? No, nobody is. No church is. This early church wasn't perfect. We look at it sometimes in retrospect, and we think, what a perfect church that must have been. But if you read the book of Acts, you see she was far from that, that she was imperfect, made up of human beings just like us. There is no such thing as a perfect church. But a real church, yes. And I believe you really want to see God do something. How many of y'all today would join me in giving the Lord a great praise, saying, God, we really believe you want to do something right here in this house, not in, a, in another place, but in, in this house right here. I believe that God really wants to do something. I want to read a bit about this early church, and, and I want to try to make some application to our church and our setting and, and what we believe God wants to do here. Let's read together Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 41, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It reads this way. Then they gladly received his word. What a joyful statement that is. And were baptized. And that same day, in one day, there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. That's awesome reverence given unto the Lord. Upon every soul. Many, not a few, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. They had all things in common. This was not communism. That means that if you need something that I have, it's yours. That's the thought process. If you need something that I have, it's yours. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I love this statement. One of my favorite in all of the Word of God. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church, what? Daily, such as should be saved. Now, there's nothing I love better than a great restaurant. I just got to tell you. There's nothing I love better than knowing I'm going to a great restaurant. I know that you have a few favorites. I have a few favorites myself. I want you to right now, if you've got a bulletin or a pad, write down what you believe to be 
your favorite restaurant in all the world. Just, just write it down for me right quick. Just, just pencil it down. Let your mind peruse the choices that you have. If it's Burger King, great. I'm not here to be judgmental today. Whatever it is, man, just, just write it down. Let your mind uh, wander across the choices and write down what you believe to be your favorite restaurant. Now below that, as I'm talking about an experience I recently had, just begin to list a few reasons why you think that is your favorite restaurant. Why would you choose that to be your favorite restaurant? Just list a, a few things. I, I had an occasion to, to, to ease to one of my favorite places to eat in all the world just this week, a couple of days ago. Man, we got to it. They checked us in at the desk, greeted us wonderfully. Man, they grabbed us and walked us back through the kitchen on the way to our sink. She said, we're going to give you a tour of the kitchen. We rolled in through the kitchen with the white tile and the, and the stainless steel everywhere. Everybody in the kitchen stopped and, and, hey, welcome. Glad that you're here. Happy to be there. Man, it was an Italian restaurant up on the stainless steel racks. There were setting loaves. I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about loaves of lasagna and and I'm talking about food and, and salads and desserts that you could see them fixing and preparing for folks as you walk by. We made our way to our seats. Man, they took us in, sat us down, told us how great it was to have us. Man, we ordered. You say, what did you order? We ordered spaghetti and meatballs. The, the guys, some of the guys in the restaurant had a shirt on that said this. We have meatballs as big as your head. How many of y'all think that's a, a good qualification for We have meatballs as big as your head. And literally, each meatball, one pound of ground beef in each meatball that they brought out to the table. We didn't order only that. We had spaghetti. Uh, we had lasagna. Man, we had chicken parmesan. We had a mixed green salad with some dressing on it. The bowl was about this big when they brought it out and set it on the table. Man, we ate to our heart's content. Uh, the only person I know that can do better Italian-wise is Miss Carol Cassio. I'd hate to call her out by name, but she can. Maybe this was in her ballpark. They, they brought all that out. We ate all that. They said, what about dessert? Man, we ordered six of the finest cannolis that you've ever seen. They brought them out to the table. Chocolate drizzled underneath them. Brown sugar and cinnamon on top of them. Cream with chocolate chips in the cream in the middle. Can anybody say hallelujah in the house today? Glory to God. A chocolate chip cannoli. I don't know that it gets any better than that. Man, I got online. I found a $15 off coupon of your entire order. I thought I was happy till I found that man alive. They made that work for us. Took 15 bucks off of our bill. Man, we ate. We, we, we went outside. We had the waitresses come by and take a picture of us together outside with their little mascot. And man, when it was all said and done, the bill for the thing, you say, states that had to be expensive. It cost me about 38 bucks plus a tip to eat at this place. And man, I'm going to tell you, I've been to Pizza Hut and spent a whole lot more than that for a few large pizzas, I'm just here to tell you. Man, I walked out of there satisfied. I walked out of there feeling good. I got in the car and ate a half a bottle of Pepsi AC. How many of y'all here I ate a half a bottle on the way home? What makes a restaurant great? What makes it your favorite? What are some elements of your favorite? Well, I would let you shout them out. I, I would. I, I believe food's pretty important, isn't it? That's one of the elements. You've got to love the food. If you go there and the food's no good, forget it. How about the atmosphere, the decor, the way the people treat you? That has something to do with whether you believe a restaurant is your favorite or not. How about the company that's with you? I'm here to tell you when you go eat with some good company. I had some of the greatest friends I've ever had in my life with me at this meal, and the company made it all, all the better. How about the people serving you, man, when they act like they're halfway glad to see you there, and they act like they halfway want to make sure you have what you need? Man, doesn't that make a restaurant great how about location where it's at sometimes just the location you're eating in can make all the difference in whether that's your favorite restaurant and when the rubber meets the road man doesn't price have a whole lot to do with it when you can eat well and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg doesn't that have something to do with that place and man, today we can go on and on about what makes a, a restaurant your favorite. But I'm going to ask you a more important question. What makes a restaurant great and wonderful? That's a good question to ask. But beyond that and above that is, is what makes a church great? 
What, what is it that makes a church great? What are those elements that when I say, man, or when we look at a work and we say, now that is a great church. I hear that all the time. Wow, what a great church. And I will tell you, people say that to me about this church right here. And we ought to be happy and very proud that that's a reputation that we have. What a great work. What a, what a great church. What are we really saying? What are those elements? I'm going to pick out a few for, for you from this little passage because to be sure, this early church, and while not perfect, could certainly be termed nothing less than a great church. I want to pick out a few elements for you. Number one, I want you to see that they were an evangelistic church. A great church is always an evangelistic church. A great church is always winning souls for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look into this passage in verse 41, man, we see that this early church was doing that with bells on. It says, man, folks were gladly receiving the word. They were baptized. And that same day, there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if one day, somewhere down the road, that we would meet together here, that we would worship, that someone would stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And we set up a baptistry somewhere and got every pastor and minister we could and set them in that baptistry and began to baptize and baptize and baptize and baptize. How many of y'all think that'd be a pretty red letter day in the history of the church? Man, a, a, a God can do that. If he did it in that day, he can do it in this day. And church, I'll tell you what our country needs today is a few great works of the Lord Jesus Christ to rise up and begin to be this kind of evangelistic bodies. And I believe he's waiting to pour out a last day's revival and call folks unto himself, not begrudgingly, but I believe they'll gladly receive the word of the Lord and be baptized. A great church is an evangelistic church. I'm hurrying because I've got to cover a lot of ground. Secondly, I want you to see that also a great church is a discipling church. Beyond evangelism, beyond winning them, a great church is a discipling church. Look at verse 42a. It says they continued there. They didn't just run off. They continued there steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. A great church is a, a discipling church. Yes, we must win people. Yes, we must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to see people come to know the Lord and be baptized. But beyond that, we want to begin to walk with people and usher them into the faith and watch them grow into legitimate followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, these folks stayed with one another. They had a lifetime journey together and became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember some years ago, uh, we baptized, I think, in one calendar year, 100 people. In this church. In one calendar year, we baptized 100 people. And man, I was out on faith one Tuesday night, and a couple of people I was on a visit with came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I walked in the next day, it was Wednesday morning, into my dad's office. I said, Dad, man, wasn't that great last night? I had a couple of people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Yeah, that was great. And I thought, Wow, that's not the reaction I, I really expected when I shared that with him. He said, Yeah, that's great, son. And I said, Dad, what's, what's wrong? I mean, did you hear what I just said? He said, yeah, I hear you, and that is great. I rejoice in that, and that's a marvelous thing that somebody's life was changed through all eternity. He said, I'm excited about that, but he said, if you really want to see me get excited, you bring those people to me five years from now, and let me see them in the church serving the Lord Jesus Christ, living the life that God's called them to live. And he said, when I see that... Man, I really get jacked up. I'm excited now, but man, if you want to see me get on a run, show me that guy that's become show a follower of Jesus Christ. Show me that lady that's genuinely and sincerely pursuing the Lord with every fiber of their being and following after Him. And a great church, yes, doesn't stop at just evangelism. They move on to discipleship. And they begin to train people in following the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them. Didn't the Great Commission say, man, go and make disciples? That's what I've asked you. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Thirdly, a great church is also a fellowshipping church. I love what it says here, man. They, they continued not only in the apostles' doctrine, but they continued in fellowship and in the breaking of bread. A great church is always a fellowshipping church. The early church loved being together. They were together as often as possible. And folks, I know our lives are busy, but there has to be time that we're together as the church of Jesus Christ. There has to be time that you spend time with those uh, born-again, blood-bought children of God. Man, if we spend every waking moment in the world and with the world, it's going to do something to our walk. 
We have to understand the value of just pure fellowship with fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this church gives you every opportunity to fellowship together. We had just the other night a family movie night. So cool to be back there popping popcorn and serving snow cones, watching people in their camping chairs, just out there together fellowshipping in a healthy environment. Man, we took our small group up to a drive-in theater not long ago. I've got such good pictures of us sitting outside in our little camping chairs watching the movie together after we'd eaten a great meal. Faith Riders a week ago got together, rode up to, to, to the farmer's daughter up in Greenville. Why, Pastor? Just so they could be together and fellowship one with another. Golf trip. Man, there's nothing I like better than going to the Harbor Inn with the Sunshine class. The students, man, they do so many things just to foster fellowship. Our university age adults meeting on Wednesday night in a home just to foster fellowship one with another. And church, that's a healthy thing. Every church that's a great church has opportunity for its members of its body to fellowship one with another. And man, you need that. You need to get together just to be together. I wrote this down. Church is more than a strategy and a service. It's more than a logo and a great leader. Church is really a family, beloved. It's a family. And man, families that are great love being together. It's not a drudgery for me to get up and come here and be with you on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever through the week, any event we have. I'm happy to be in the presence of the people of God and feel the fellowship of the brethren. Fourthly, I want you to see that a great church is also a praying church. It says, man, they continued in prayers. A great church is also a praying church. And I want you to look at verse 43. And man, great fear came upon everybody. And they did many wonders and signs uh, the apostles did. They were wrought by their very hands. Folk, we must never forget the absolute necessity of prayer in the body of Christ. And man, I'll tell you, the hardest thing you'll ever go to is a prayer meeting. You try to get yourself to a place where the body of Christ is praying together and everything in your life will go to smash trying to keep you from getting there. You try to promote a prayer meeting as a leader in the body of Christ. You try to set aside a time when folks come together just for no other reason than to pray and see what happens to the attendance. Man, you see how hard it is to get people together. Is that because we don't want to pray? No, I believe because the enemy understands the great power that's inherent when the body of Christ begins to pray. And he's going to do everything in his might, everything in his power to roadblock you from coming together and praying as the body of Jesus Christ. The early church is depicted throughout the book of Acts, beloved, as a praying church. And if I look at our church, her most powerful moments, the moments she's made the most impact, the moments we've won and discipled the most, the moments that we've seen the hand of God move the mightiest is when we were engaged together in prayer before the Lord on a regular, systematic basis daily minutely hourly when we were uh, assaulting the throne of God together as a unit that's when God moved now it's hard to imagine a prayerful church that is an anemic church a church that begins to pray all of a sudden has the power of God in it and on it Everything it's doing seems like God's at work in it. Every place it goes, it seems like God begins to bless it. Is it perfect and is the road smooth? No, but it seems that the power of God is the hallmark of that church. How many of y'all today, more than anything, would love to see the power of God fall in this house and Him do some things, not just one or two, but many mighty and wonderful things in our midst? I'll tell you how it'll come. It'll come when we begin to take prayer very seriously and put it on the top of our list. Beloved, a great church. Is always a praying church. You never see a great church that doesn't pay much attention to prayer. Man, I'd love to see us as individuals. I'd love to see us as family, corporately, man, pointedly under the Spirit's leadership, beginning just to pray. I went to the national convention in June. Usually on Tuesday night, they have the, the greatest church around there with the greatest choir around there, with the greatest band around there. And, man, they get the greatest speaker they can to come. Is it good? Yeah. It's great. It's refreshing. It's uplifting. I'm not knocking that at all. But this year, for the first time, and I believe, I know in my memory, in the convention's history, we had a president that said, I believe that prayer is more important in this hour than worship and a fabulous speaker. So Tuesday night, what we did, 8,000 people was come together in Columbus, Ohio and ask God to do something mighty in the midst of our country and our culture.
And if you want my opinion, I believe that's what we ought to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Is get to a place to understand the desperate need that we're in. And understand the only source we hope we have is in heaven. And exercise the marvelous privilege that God has given as the body of Christ to pray. Man, there's going to be opportunity. There is opportunity. As we go into the fall and the new schedule, I want this altar to be open five minutes before the start of the service. We tried this a little bit last fall. It worked to a degree, but I'm challenging you. This is part of the challenge today to be a great church. This altar's open five minutes before the start of every service, and I'm just asking all that the Lord would lead to come and pray. Tuesday nights, we pray together, 6.30. Wednesday nights, 6.55. Saturday nights, we've been praying forever for God to send a great revival, and I believe that He is going to do that. We have folks meeting on Thursday. The staff's praying on Wednesday together. The deacons on Sunday morning. I'm looking at Empower, seven days of prayer before Empower. At the beginning of the new year, we're going to have a 21-day New Year fast covering for each service as, a, as an aim of mine beginning this fall. Electronic prayer list we have going out so you know the needs of the people. The website has a prayer request link. There are blue cards in your pews. I hope to establish some home prayer groups. People can meet together through the week at their leisure so that they might be able to pray. And you say, Pastor, what are we going to pray? We're going to pray that God might move in our midst. That's what we're going to pray. We're going to ask Him to do it. A great church is always a, a prayerful church. Fifthly, a great church is always a ministering church. Verse 44 and 45, it says that they took care of one another. That they met all the needs as the opportunity arose. I love that phrase. They were together. That means if you have a need, then it's my need. That means if you have a joy, then it's my joy. It means if you're hurting, then I'm hurting. It means if you're happy, then I'm happy. It means we're knitted together inseparably. It means that they ministered one to another in that setting. And I love the fact that there was no need, the Word tells us in this early church, there was not a person who ever had a need. And so must we be in our midst, not only to ourselves, but to a lost and a dying world. On one occasion, the Word challenges us, Jesus, through a parable, who then is our neighbor? He said, we ought to love our neighbors, and who are they? Everybody you find. In Paul's letters, he says, man, you ought to do good unto all men as you have opportunity. And beloved, you're doing that as a church, your ministry. Just one example, this past Tuesday, 38 families came by your food closet here and took home food that they needed to be able to make it through the week. Do they all go to church here? No. I mean, we have prayer time with them. We take their information, and man, it gives us a ministry opportunity to be able to speak into their lives, to meet a dire need in their life, and then begin to meet their greater needs spiritually. Man, we learn, need to learn to be a ministering church. Sixthly, and I'm hurrying on because I know my time is getting short. Sixthly, a great church is always a worshiping church. A great church is always a worshiping church. You mark it down. When you get into, into what you would call a great church, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you stand to sing together, it's a whole lot more than just notes and music. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God. And a great church is always a worshiping church. If you look at verse 46 and 47a, you see that, man, daily they went to the temple together. Then they went from house to house, and, man, they shared their meat with gladness, singleness of heart. I love the first two words in verse 47. They were always praising God. And, oh, church, that we would just be worshipers. When we came into this house, church, that we would just leave our stuff outside, that we would let the cares of this world go by the wayside, that we'd let our things that, man, we think are so important, if we'd just leave them outside and understand that when we come into this house, that what we really are is a group of the children of God gathering around the throne of God to worship their Father in heaven, who is the King. The Word tells us that the Lord is looking for worshipers and those who would come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And beloved, a great church is always a worshiping church. I heard this quote, and it's never left my mind. A guy said this one time from the pulpit, and it struck me. He said, Beloved, we are never more united than when we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. All of a sudden, doctrinal differences don't mean so much when the presence of the Holy Spirit comes. All of a sudden, my agenda doesn't mean as much as it used to when the presence of the Lord comes in. All of a sudden, our differences fade into the background, and our common ground at the throne of the living God comes to the forefront when we begin to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. A great church is a worshiping church, seventhly. A great church is a growing church. It's tough to imagine a church being great that's not growing. 
And I'm here to tell you that we all know this very well. It's been hammered into our heads. A not, to not grow is to what? Is to die. The minute you cease to grow as a church, you have started down the road of dying as a church. The minute you cease to grow, you say, Pastor, are you all about numbers? No, I don't care anything about numbers. I just want to see some growth. I want to see us grow. Do I want to see us grow numerically? Yes. I think the early church took account of that. I just read in this passage that, that man, Dr. Luke, was careful to cite a number. Hey, 3,000 people in one day. He could have just said some people came to know the Lord that day. But no, he, he gave us a number and said 3,000. So I believe that we need to grow numerically. Am I all about that? No. We need to grow spiritually, beloved. I am about that. And I believe if we grow spiritually, we have to grow numerically. I don't think there's any way around that. I believe when we begin to grow spiritually, we begin to grow numerically. How do I know that? Well, look at this one passage. It says this, man, they had favor with all the people. Not just the people that, that fellowshiped with them, not just the people that were going from house to house, but everybody who laid their eyes on that church all of a sudden was drawn to it in some way, form, or fashion. And man, that favor they had gave way to the church using that, to the Lord using that to add to the church such as should be saved with every passing day. Church, I want us to be a growing church, and we are. I'm going to tell you God's been adding to us even in these last few months. I did a little brief calculation in my head not long ago, and this summer, you know in the summertime you usually slow down, but this summer we've baptized right at 30 people just in the last few months. You ought to give the Lord a great praise for that. Baptized 30 people just in the last few months. Now, I'm not a, a professional statistician. I can't believe I pronounced that word right. I'm not a professional statistician. But man, if you, if you do a little multiplication, you find out how many of y'all would like to see 120 people come to know the Lord every calendar year right here at this church? How many of y'all think that'd be a pretty good year in ministry? I think it would. And that's what God's doing now. What in the world will he do in the future? My country. A great church is a growing church. So this is what I want to do. I want to challenge you this year. I want to challenge you. I want to set this before you. Man, a lot of these things are going on now. And we could say, yes, God is doing those things. But man, I want him to do more. And I want to come to the end of this saying, God, you have done a great work in this house. You've done a great and a mighty thing in this house. And beloved, I don't know about you, but I want to be the finest church that God can make us on this hill for his glory. I want to have the most impact that we can have. And there's the challenge, man. Mirroring this early church, if we did just those seven things, my country, I shudder to think what God would do. Five, almost six years, five years ago now, I guess, I stood in this pulpit and gave you a vision that God had given me. That I wanted us to be a church that loved the Lord with all of our heart all our strength, all our mind, and all our soul. And I wanted us to be a church that loved one another, that loved our neighbors just as loved each other the way we love ourselves and beyond. And I believed in doing that, that we'd be a church that somehow would touch this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the vision that God gave. That's what this early church did. And beloved, I want to challenge you to pick up that mantle this year and let's run with it like we never have before under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's the challenge. Here's a quick change. Here's the changes. Now, if we're going to accept that challenge, we've got to make a few changes. We've got to. Now, there's nobody that likes change. I know most of the time when you mention that word, we're going to change this or we're going to change that or we're going to change the other. A lot of people get really tore up, including myself. A lot of people get to thinking, man, I like it the way it's going. And, man, I'm happy the way it's going. And, man, we're doing really good. God's got it. All the bills are paid. Man, we've got a little bit of money in the bank. Why in the world, Pastor, would you start tweaking with things now? Why would you start doing things now? Why? Because I believe God wants to do more. Because I believe God has more in store for us than we've even imagined up to this moment in time. Because we're some special super church? No, because I believe that's what God's plan is for us. Through much prayer, much fasting, much consideration from your leadership and from you. Man, these are the things that God has led us to in this moment in time. Nobody likes change. I, I heard a story of a man that went to the doctor, and man, his doctor looked him right in the eye and said, You, sir, are in absolutely terrible shape. He said, You've got to do something about the condition you're in. 
He said, first, I want you to go home and talk to your wife, and I want, to tell her, I want you to tell her these things. I want you to tell your wife to cook more nutritious meals. I want you to stop working like a dog every day. Also, I want you to inform your wife that you're going to make a budget, and she has to stick with it. I want you to have her keep the kids off your back when you get home so that you can sit down and relax. And I'm telling you, unless these changes like that are made in your life, you're probably going to be dead inside 30 days. The wise man looked at the doc and he said, let me tell you something. I don't think I can go home and share that with my wife. She'll never believe me. Would you mind calling her on the phone and telling her these things yourself so that she'll be able to undertake them? The doc said, I'd be glad to do that. You head on home. I'll talk to her before you get there. The man got in, walked in the door. His wife met him, threw her arms around him, wailing and upset beyond measure. She said, man, I got a call from the doctor today, honey. He told me you're going to die in 30 days. How many of y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm not changing a thing, beloved. Think I'm doing all that for your sorry life? No way, baby. I'll miss you. I'll miss you when you go. Change is not easy. Even when it seems that the results are great. So I know that, man, it's not going to be easy. But I want to explain to you kind of some of the things that we're changing and a little bit about why we're changing them for just a moment. Man, we've made some changes. These are the things I believe are necessary. We've made some leadership changes. We really have. You know, if you go back to any kind of church growth or even church history, they tell you that if you don't have the leadership, you'll never be able to handle the growth. They tell us statistically that one minister can handle about 150 people, 150, maybe 200, if the situation's just right. So you can take one minister and... And, and you multiply how many ministerial staff you have, and you can about figure that's the amount of people that you're going to be able to minister to. So you have to add some leadership in different areas and have these things so that you're able to handle the growth and the people that come. Uh, we've got uh, this Wednesday night presenting a brand-new children's director, Miss Michelle. If you had not had a chance to meet her, uh, you, I hope you do in the days ahead. She's a joy. She's going to have a dynamic impact on what we do here. Kids Corner, we've got uh, Mr. Neil Brown out there, just a, a, a gift of God that he's got to be able to lead kids and worship. Miss Trish Lancaster, our Wanna Commander, I don't know anybody more committed to children and sowing into their lives the Scripture and the Word of God than that young lady is. Alongside these people, we have great lay leadership in our children's area, all working together in tandem, man, to, to grow, to expand, and enhance what is already, in my estimation, a wonderful children's ministry. And, man, we have an opportunity to grow it even to another level. Statistics tell us if we don't reach people before they're the age of 18, the likelihood of them coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ goes down to 4% in their lifetime. So should we emphasize children's ministry you better believe it we need to sow the truth of the gospel of jesus christ into their lives very early and church we've done that over the years and i believe that god has honored that that we've taken a a, a purposeful stance to sow into the lives of our children Wednesday night, we're going to present her. How about, a, how about a, a, a new student pastor that we're going to present on Wednesday night? He's sitting on the front row. I won't embarrass him and, and make him stand up, but he's here. Uh, I, I'm glad he's here. And man, what a job he's going to do. Uh, already, again, I'll echo all the things I said about the children's ministry. Already, uh, what I would esteem, a marvelous student and university age uh, approach to what we're doing. But man, in the days ahead, I, I just can't help but believe that God has sent them here to, to not just maintain what we're doing but to grow and expand and to bless what we're doing and break it and multiply it man we have a marvelous group of of what i would call students young men and women here at this church young men and women who share their faith as they go throughout the day who are concerned about their peers in high school i'm just here to tell you i measure myself sometimes i look back when i was 16 17 18 even 12 13 and 14 at some of these young men and women and i'm going to tell you they're so much further down the road spiritually than I ever had time to be when I was that age. I marvel at what God has in store for that group of people when he turns them loose on this world. We have such a dynamic college-age group. You spend a little time with these men and women. They are sincere. They don't want to walk in and just get some little old message. They want to walk in and have somebody feed them so that they can grow in the Word of God. They want to have some real and relevant teaching and build relationships with their peers so that out there in academia, they can have a voice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think it's important that we sow resources into our students and university-age adults? You better believe it is and I have a vested interest myself in all those areas 
And man, I see in the lives of my own daughters the difference that that ministry has made right here at this church. Man, we move on. We think about missions and congregational care. We've got a, a fellow, Jesse, that we all love and, and revere. There's an, I don't think I've ever met anybody that said, I don't love Jesse. I've never heard anybody say a harsh word about Jesse. He is jolly. If you could picture the word jolly and put it on somebody, that's Jesse. I've never seen anybody that's more jolly than Jesse is. And man, he's cut out and tailor-made to be a congregational care and a missions pastor. He's going to help us undertake our benevolence on a different level. Critical care, convalescent care, continual care, systematic visitation, not only in nursing homes, but in homes and, and our members as we go. He's going to develop a, a, a visitation team so that we're touching people who are out there and just can't get here for one reason or another. We want them to know that they are still a viable and an important part of this body. As important as our young people are, just as important are the people uh, that I would call the senior adults. And I want them to know that in this house, we're not ushering them out into the pasture. We revere them. We respect them. And we honor them for the wisdom that they have. And folks, we are wise to stay in touch with that wisdom and listen when they begin to speak into our lives. And it's important that we sow into that arena. Greeters, ushers, Miss Anise, all these people that are so valuable that will draw from the strength of this position. There's a wealth of other care-enhancing opportunities. Even care on Tuesday night, Manny, and all those, uh, Eddie, who do such a great job down there. And missions, man, we have a, a, a really a missions program that we, we really have never really exposed this church to all that we do in missions. Man, a lot of the things that get done in our, our missions programs that are just behind the scenes that nobody ever knows about. Firewood that's distributed to houses. Roofs that are put on people's houses. Took a trip to West Virginia. Little couples trying to kick off a church up there. They gave them a, a building and it had no roof on it. Handful of boys just took a weekend, went up there and put a roof on that building. Man, things go on like that all the time in this body. And man, as we grow and they get bigger, we need someone at the top of that from a staff perspective to help coordinate and communicate all the opportunity that you have to be a part of the mission of this church and, yea, the mission of the kingdom of God. And what a joy it's going to be to have Jesse from our children all the way to our seniors, man, being able to help people get involved. Another young man on the front row, he's done pretty good for us for the last 10 years. He's going to step up and help this old boy all that he can from an executive and administrative role. He's going to grow our, our small groups, intentionally make them ministry units. And if you come back next week, he's going to have the pulpit and he's going to tell you all that's going to go on and the opportunities that you have as just being a part of a small group here. Discipleship, man, discipleship making has to be our priority. And our spine as we go ahead. Man, coordinate and administrate. I'm looking for that so that we can be more efficient, more effective. Even beyond that, you have our worship pastor, Ed. Man alive, what a blessing it is. The family choir. Some of these changes are going to help just enhance what he does. And I pledge to give myself more deeply than ever. And this has been a hunger and a thirst of mine. More deeply than ever to the ministry of the Word of God and of prayer in this house. I pledge to do that more than I ever have been able to. And I'm excited about having that opportunity to do it. The list goes on and on. We have an outstanding deacon body and leadership. Great and talented uh, administrative, preschool, summer care, maintenance, financial. The list goes on and on. Talented and passionate lay leadership, greeters, small group leaders, musicians, chefs. Man, I'm telling you, if you've been coming to any meals we've had lately, we've got someone out there uh, right now overseeing a group in our social committee that, man, is, this, is not far off of a chef, in my opinion. Planners and much, much more leadership. That's one of the changes. We've made some changes just to enhance it and to help us grow. Timely and terrific changes, necessary changes for us to reach the goal that God set for us. And if we're going to be that great church that God wants us to be, these are necessary changes. Logistical changes. I printed out me a little sheet here. And if you want to jump on the website, we've been putting it up every day. It's on the Trinity, a Fairview app. If you go to iTunes or, or the Google Play Store, you can download a Trinity, a Fairview app. It'll give you weekly updates with news and opportunities. The sermons are on there and podcasts. Uh, this is on there so that you can see our, our new uh, systematic schedule changes as we go ahead. And then we can see that logistically we're changing. Now, I'm going to make the change really easy for you. Here's what we're doing. We're going from a two-module two mode on Sunday to a three-module mode. That's really all we're doing. 
We're going from a two-module mode to a three-module mode. One's going to be from 9 to 10. That's going to be the first service and some specialty groups. From 10, 10 to 11, that's going to be our education hour. Everybody's going to have an opportunity to be in a small group in that hour. I did a little math last night, and Adam, if I'm wrong, you tell me, and I won't take any offense to it. You call me down and correct me if, if, from, the, from the pew there if you need to. I did a little math, and we'll have 40 small groups from zero up to the sunshine class meeting in some place on this campus in that one hour. Think about that. 40 small groups. And we're hoping to grow that. We're hoping to see that grow and expand and change. Opportunity for you to be a part. Small group ministry is going to be our spine. So really the reason for this change is to make the opportunity available to you to be connected to one of these groups. From the 11.15 to 12.15 hour, there won't be anything in competition with our second worship. We'll have Kids Corner K-5 worship moving to that hour, and I expect I could be wrong, but I bet you if you walk out there on August the 30th to the Kids Corner worship and see what's going on, I bet you'll see in the neighborhood of 75 to 100 kids in there worshiping the name of the Lord Jesus Christ together. I bet you'll see it. So these logistical changes, what do they do? They make everyone's ministry loose to grow and to function not just one group that's going to benefit from it it's every group that's going to benefit from these logistical changes man it emphasizes our spine here's the reason it enables our choir and leadership to serve without reservation to come in here and not feel like i got to get out of here get to small group if i'm even going to get to be able to go and then i got to run back and and get prepared for the second service no it frees them up to serve here without reservation and many other people serving in the sound booth around other places it opens the doors for growth Everywhere It opens up our children's ministry and our children's worship. And it also gives us great schedule flexibility. We've already been thinking about Christmas and Easter where we're going to be able, because of this kind of schedule, to do a Saturday night service maybe for our body and then just do one service, one big blowout service on Sunday morning for our body. And if you've ever been in a choir that did two services on Sunday morning and sung your guts out, man, for the glory of God, Man, it takes a toll not only on your voice, but on your spirit as you pour yourself out. And what a joy to be able to do it on a Saturday night and invite our community in and minister to them and to be able to do that on a Sunday morning for our body. It gives us great flexibility and empower. It'll let us have a 9 o'clock prayer hour and one service to kick that thing off on holiday Sundays, snow days. It's going to be much easier to still have an impact and to adjust as things go on. Wednesday night, I'm going to mention the changes on Wednesday night. We're instituting a family meal, $2 donation. Hey, we mentioned great restaurant and price. I don't know how you can beat two bucks donation, beloved. I don't know where you're going to eat for $2. I just don't know. Even if you go to McDonald's, you're going to get an order of fries and a half a Coke. I mean, y'all, hey, hey, even on a dollar menu, you're not going to get a whole Coke. They're going to give one of them little bitty guys. Two bucks, man. And that's just a donation. Let me tell you, and I hope you hear me and hear me well. If, if you don't have a dollar in your pocket, come and eat. And nobody's going to be put on the spot, and nobody's going to be turned away. Do we have to sign up, Pastor? No. Just show up and eat. I don't know how much easier we can make it than that. You say, well, I got 17 people in my family. That could be 34. Did, my, did I do right? That's $34 every Wednesday night. No, there's a $10 cap. You got 22. Now, I'm not asking you to bring your cousins and your second cousins and everybody and call them family and eat for 10 bucks, but there's a, a $10 cap. Now, I'll say this. You may be here and be able to give more than that. And when you come by, God may ask you to do it, to support and undergird that ministry. It's going to give us an opportunity to be together, to fellowship, to get to know one another more intimately. And it's going to bolster every program that we do on Wednesday night. Awana will be, be blessed, 0 to 5. Students will be blessed, 6 to 12. University age will be blessed, on up above to 25. And the worship service in our sanctuary. I heard the preaching's pretty good on Wednesday night. I don't know. Come by and check it out. Maybe you can see. Uh, come by on that Wednesday night. It'll bolster our attendance here. And, and I believe there might be another fellow that gets to preach a little bit also in here that you're going to really enjoy here in logistical changes. I promise you. I promise you that this didn't come yesterday. This is not something that I thought of last month and thought, well, let's just shake everything in this house up and, and try that. If you ask the staff, they'll tell you, I've been talking about this for two years, two and a half years. I've been talking about it and praying about it, that God's going to do something different at some moment in time in this body. And I'm going to tell you now's the time. I don't think it's any accident that our country's in the place that it's in, that people are thinking the way that they're thinking. You say, Pastor, is that a bad thing? No, I see that as a good thing. Because it gives us an opportunity to be the church that God asks us to be.
It gives us an opportunity to be distinctly different and to minister into the lives of people. Now, there may be people out there that are closed-minded, but I guarantee you in this hour and day, there's more people looking to find the truth than ever have been before. And, beloved, we harbor the truth of all truths, the truth of all eternity in the person of Jesus Christ in this household and in our hearts, and we must do everything that we can do to reach a lost and dying world in these last days. I promise you this is not something that just came about. This is something that's been timed by the Lord. We couldn't have the leadership that we have coming in to help us any other moment in history than this moment right now. It couldn't fit our thought processes and our, and, and our body's temperature more wonderfully than it does in this moment right now. If I were to let Jim and Michelle share, if I were to let Tim and Katie share, they'd stand up and say, man, there's been no moment in time that we've been able to even attempt something like this until this right here. God is ordering and ordaining these things in our midst. And he's doing it for a marvelous reason. I remember when I first started into the ministry. I thought, God, I want to be the greatest preacher. I've shared this with you some, but I want to keep sharing it because God shares it with my spirit every other day, it seems like. I remember thinking to myself and telling the Lord, then I was a little bit less mature. I'm not mature by any means now, but I was less mature then than I am now. And I remember thinking, God, I'm just going to be the greatest pastor. I'm going to be the greatest preacher that ever lived. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to do it for the kingdom's glory. I'm going to be the greatest that ever, that ever walked. And it wasn't long into my ministry till I realized I wasn't going to be the greatest preacher that ever lived. After I preached three or four times, I realized, Stacey, that might be a little lofty goal. Maybe set something different for yourself. Man, after I'd pastored a little while, I realized, you know what? You probably ain't going to be not only the greatest pastor that ever lived, you might not be the greatest pastor that's ever stood in this house right here by a long shot. Man alive, the Lord got a hold of me. And he convicted me on it. And he said, you need a little different understanding, Stace. What is it that you really want? And through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I came to a place just to ask the Lord this. And I believe he drove me to it. I asked him, I said, well, God, if, if, if that's true, would you just please help me to be the very best pastor and preacher that I can possibly be for the glory of God and the upbuilding of the kingdom? What makes a great church? Great is a hard word to, to approach sometimes. Man, I want you to be a great church. You are a great church. You have these things. But I want our prayer and our commitment today to be this. Lord, would you make us the best church that we can possibly be? in this place for the glory of God and the upbuilding of the kingdom. And I'm going to ask you to move today. I really am. I'm going to ask you to move. Sometimes commitment can be made where you sit, but sometimes you just got to move. And there are some of you out there that are incapable of moving, and that's okay. But if you're capable of it, and you're behind what we're doing, and you're going to cover it prayerfully, not sure of it, you say, Pastor, do you have all the answers? No. There's going to be days down the road where we have some train wrecks, and we've got to make some adjustments. That's just part of growth and change. But I'm with it, and I'm committed to it, because I believe God's asked us to do it. And if you're here, and you'd visibly make that commitment before the Lord, and with this body, I'm going to ask you to move. If you're holding babies and youngins, don't move. Unless the Lord tells you to, don't move. But come, if that's you right now. If you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I'm with you. I'm behind you. I'm in support of what God's doing. I believe God's doing it. I believe He has a plan. And I believe He has a purpose. And I'm ready to undertake whatever He asked me to undertake. So that He might make of us the thing that He wants us to be. For His glory. His honor. His praise. Move as close as you can. Just keep on coming. This is part of that fellowship. All right? Get close. Just keep coming. Maybe you're out there today and you couldn't move for one reason or another, but you say, Pastor, I want you to know that I'm not against you. I'm for you in this. Would you just lift your hand way high right where you are so you can be a part of this? I see all those hands all over this house. Acts 2 says they were together in church. That's the only way God will do what God wants to do here is if we're together. And this is a marvelous picture of what's going to be ahead as we move. How many of y'all believe he's going to do great and mighty things? And I mean, he's going to be doing exceedingly, the word says, and abundantly. 
all that we can ask him to do in this world. Even more than my mind might conceive he could possibly do in the days ahead, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Let's pray. Father, how I love you. How I thank you for these moments in time when the body comes together with a focused opportunity. And Lord, that's the word that's been ringing into my spirit is opportunity. You have given to this church opportunities that many churches would just long for. You've given to us open doors, man, that, that churches labor and labor and pastors labor and labor for, and they never see on this side of heaven. Father, in this moment, we're praying that you help us with great wisdom and understanding to walk through the right doors, to seize the right opportunities, to seize them without fear, but with great boldness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and His great leadership to accomplish these tasks ahead. And God, we pray that no man would be seen. We pray that no flesh would be paraded. We pray that nobody's name would be on anything other than the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the name worthy to be praised, honored, and adored. And yea, it shall be throughout all eternity. Father, we trust you. By this move, we're declaring our trust in you for resources and understanding. Lord, we ask you to write some big checks for us down the road so that we're able to do the things that you intend for us to do here. Lord, we ask you to give us great faith to be able to believe you for healing and salvation and deliverance and life change in the days down the road here. And Father, we ask that you'd keep us close to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let us ever get far from the truth of the gospel and our task here on this planet. Father, I pray a blessing and a covering. I take my place as the under-shepherd of this church in this moment, and I pray a great covering on this whole house. I pray a covering on every family and on every individual here because we know that you have a plan and we know that the enemy has a plan. And today I pray a covering over this, this congregation and this group of people, and I declare in the name of Jesus that the enemy is bound and dismissed from his plans in this house. And we loose the Holy Spirit of God that He might accomplish all that He wants to in this day and in every day that lies before us. Father, we love You. We worship, honor, and praise You. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.